0: And she did. She in my office. She nasty Okay, so just a few things real quick. Um, so uh, first thing is just a reminder: HBI graduation is the uh, the twelfth of January of July June. Um, that's a Sunday night, six o'clock. I just encourage everybody to try to come and be an encouragement to the graduate students. There's five men that are graduating. Uh, they've put in a lot of work the last four years and just want to honor them. And uh, so if you can come, please come. Uh, then sometime, and it's in the bulletin, I don't remember just the exact date, but the Invest Women's Study is, is uh, I think this is the third time we try to restart it. So I think that's going to happen. Uh, so for the ladies that want to go, it's a Tuesday morning or Thursday night. It's just the same lesson for people that can come during the day or people that can come in the evenings. Um, But you can find more information out in the bulletin. Uh, Next time we clean, just as a reminder, is the 25th of of June. Uh, Jewel and I will not be here that weekend. I'm on vacation. Uh, So we'll be hopefully watching uh, old guys. What is that? Old faithful erupt. (laughs) So, so, unfortunately, the Yoders and the Bonnesons will be yep. in Iowa. So that's... Yeah, you guys are... It's going to so, be a skeletal cleaning crew. So, yeah. So what I would like to ask is uh, if if others in the class could <laughs> take on cleaning that weekend. It's... Uh, you can do... Julie and I do Friday early before life issues because we'd like to get that out of the way. Uh, you guys, I think, do Saturdays. No, we did Friday usually, right? but, Okay. Sarah? Well, when Julie sent out that text yeah. last time, I got to thinking, I'd go on a Saturday, but I'd have to to coordinate that with someone that has a key. Right. That, exactly. is, that is something that um, makes it difficult. If, if you don't have a key, you can't come in. Um, <clears throat> so um, we'll work on that. Try to figure out a plan for that. I've got one. I was going to say Bob, I've got one I really and Richard Richard lives very close don't you Yeah I've got a key too So you okay so we got key under the mat <laughs> You know eventually probably in the next um, near future because uh, it's been talk. we've been talking about this for over a year now of putting um, replacing the key, manual key lock on the front door with a card swipe type of deal. And uh, we could probably, it'd be easier to like assign you uh, the ability to get in that weekend and just have you swipe your card. Uh, that's, not, that's not the purpose of the card anyway, but cause it's hard to monitor who has a key. Like I didn't know you guys all had keys. I mean, mm-hmm. I could have guessed, but um, there's probably others that have had keys. Um, so we're going to try to, so that will happen sometime, maybe this summer, I don't know. Yeah. So, um, but we'll work on that for, for the 25th. I'll talk to the, the other option would be to try to swap with one of the other classes, but I don't know if that's a good idea or not. So, but we'll see, we'll work it out. Anyway, okay, so let me go on. Church in the Park is the 5th of, of June, Um, We will be doing that, I think the service, I don't have all the actual details, but I think it starts at 10. Um, And we don't have a guest speaker as we've had in the past because we couldn't plan far enough because we didn't know if we are going to be in in the park or not. Um, But uh, we will be doing church in the park and it'll be like everything else. We'll have meal afterwards, I think hot dogs and burgers and stuff like that. Make sure you bring some sort of uh, shade for the sun. Um, I know everybody likes to sit under the trees. I'm pretty sure the trees are still there. I don't think they cut the trees down. You never know what they could no, do. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, they could have, but but anyway, bring lawn chairs, uh, water to drink, you know, keep cool, and, uh, and when um, uh, the, the service is over, we'll have a meal. Um, okay. So anyway. Um Vacation Bible School is uh, signing for up on are still ongoing it starts the 20th of June June's a busy month um, so this next weekend see was the 22nd today next weekend is the 29th it's the 5th Sunday we will not have class in here we will not have a combined 9 o'clock service at all so the only service on next Sunday is going to be the 10.30 service main service so keep that in mind um and then the following week, so next week is is fifth Sunday, uh, and the main service we will have Lord's Supper, and the following Sunday is church in the park, so we won't be in here for two weeks. And keep that in mind. Um, tonight, uh, many of you may remember missionary Mike Van Horn. He has preached here a few times recently. I think at the, at the beginning of the month he was here, or earlier within the last 30 days he was here he is going to be here tonight speaking uh, if you're interested in coming to hear him um, and uh, so he's coming to talk to the pastors uh, at the pastor meeting that we have and um, present his ministry and explain a little bit more about what he's, he used to be with Rock of Ages ministry now he's made a change and he wants to kind of lay that out his vision for what that is and then he'll be here at 6 o'clock So just so everybody knows that. And I think that's everything. I know we've got an email from Brian, but I think everything else is either. We've already talked about it where it's in the bulletin, so you can keep up with what's going on in the bulletin as well. So, um, okay, so let's go to uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Um, we'll read verses 11 to 22, and we'll pray, and then we'll jump into the book of Colossians. Ecclesiastes chapter seven, starting in verse eleven. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and by it there is profit to them that see the sun. For wisdom is a defence, and money is a defence. But the excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life to them that can have, to them that can have it. Consider the work of God for. For who can make the, the consider the work of God? For who can make that straight which He hath made crooked? In the day of prosperity be joyful, but in the day of adversity consider. God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after Him. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. There is a <coughs> just man that perish in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his, his life by his, in his wickedness. Be not righteous over much, neither, take, neither make thyself over wise. Why shouldst thou destroy thyself? Be not over much wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldst thou die before thy time? It is good that thou shouldest take hold of this. Yea, also from this withdraw not thine hand. For he that feareth God shall come forth of them all. Wisdom strengtheneth the wise more than ten mighty men which are in the city. For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good, and sinneth not. Also, take, take no heed unto all the, all the words that are spoken, lest thou hear thy servant curse thee. <coughs> and in verse 22, For oftentimes also thine own heart knoweth that thou thys- <coughs> thyself likewise hast cursed others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the uh, the sunshine this morning, Lord, and crisp, uh, cool, springtime-type weather. We just praise you for it, and thank you for those that are here today and for those that are online. And we praise you, Father, that we have the opportunity to spend time in your Word, spend time together, uh, praising you and, and acknowledging who you are in our life. So we looked at this passage, Lord. We pray for wisdom. We pray, Father, that we would all, by... Um, by wisdom be uh, be profited in our ministries and in our relationships with others and in our service to you. Father, it says, As wisdom is a defense, money is a defense, but excellency of knowledge is that wisdom giveth life. Money does not give life. Wisdom gives life. And we're thankful for that, that wisdom comes from you and life comes from you. And we do always pray, Father, that you would help us to consider your work for those who can make that straight uh, who can make that straight which has been made crooked, Lord. Nobody can do that, Lord. We we can't outdo you and we can't change what you have done. So we always ask, Lord, help us to consider what you do. And we just thank you, Father, for all that you do. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning for my Son of all, Brett, that you would send your spirit to him to convict him, to convince him that it needs to be real for him, Mm -hmm. that, that he would pursue to do those things that you have challenged and commanded all of us to do, that he would be willing and wanting to follow after you and to do those things which are not necessarily convenient for him that are pleasing to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Yeah. Lord, we ask that you uh, be with the seniors that are graduating high school and those that are graduating college out now. And um, just bless Luke as he is Um, doing the message today and just all the families of the graduating seniors that this could just be a joyful time of celebration for them but that come this fall when they go off on their own that they just continue to seek you first And Father we conclude in prayer again uh, just I want to acknowledge that uh, as Chloe prayed Lord for those that are uh, going um, this fall uh, this is the last summer. Many of them, and with their home in their home with their family, I pray, Father, that you would give them peace and strength and comfort, Lord, as they make their way to wherever they're going to school, and do pray, Father, that you'd help them to be able to be, to withstand uh, the um, uh, the ways of, of evil, Lord, that uh, want to steal their their joy in you and take away their belief in you. I pray, Father, you protect them from those kind of things. We just ask now, Lord, as we. Uh, close this passage, Lord, that, um, Lord, that uh, you would just help us always um, to be uh, to be the person you want us to be. I do want to pray, Father, for Sharon Vulcan uh, and Judy Steele. We didn't mention them today, Lord, but we just want to lift them up, especially Judy and, and Bob Klein, Lord, and, just, and I know there's others that should be on here, but just, Lord, there's so many people uh, that uh, need your touch and they need your, your hands wrapped around them. And I ask, Father, that you would do that. Um, make yourself manifestly known uh, to both them and their families. And we just thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so Colossians chapter 2, we're still there. Uh, we didn't finish chapter 2 last week. Um, we not going to finish chapter 2 this week. Um, but chapter 2, as, as we started off, I just reminded everybody that you know, Paul is writing this letter because uh, he was introduced to this church by Epaphras. Uh, we believe that Epaphras was a key man in the church. Whether he was the actual pastor or not, we don't know. We don't really have any evidence one way or the other, but we do think that he was a key man. And he knew that Paul was in Rome in, in uh, under house arrest after being imprisoned in prison um, in Jerusalem for almost two years. He... he um, uh, he he preferred. Uh, what's, what's the word he used? Uh, deferred to Caesar or something like that. Where he says, "Okay, you guys have been keeping me uh, uncharged for a, long enough. I want to see Caesar." And so he made his way to Rome. He's in under house arrest in Rome. And the papyrus heard about Paul, knew who Paul was, and came to see Paul, and wanted to uh, just, hey, Paul, let me tell you about this church that you didn't make it to yet, that you don't know about. It's in Colossae. Yeah, it's a it's a Bible believing church. They're young and they're they're uh they need your guidance, they need your wisdom, Lord, uh to Paul. So please speak to them. And so he wrote a letter. But he also recognized in that conversation, which we don't have we don't have privilege to those conversations directly, but we can assume because some of the things that Paul mentioned in the letter to to the church at Colossia that they probably were under just like just like for, uh, the church at Corinth, they're probably under some sort of persecution Not really persecution, let me rephrase that. Probably under uh, false teaching, this continual, relentless, you got to go back to the Old Testament, you got to be a Jew, you got to get circumcised, all of those kind of things that just keep coming at these young churches. Um, And uh, that kind of stuff happens today as well. Maybe not necessarily in the United States, but I do know that churches that get planted in other countries, they're, they're. they're under threat all the time for uh, the pressure coming from the culture to not be a church. We're going to destroy the church. We're going to kill the pastor. We're going to kill the family. We're going to burn the church down. All that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, they want them to go back to their their cultural, religious heritage, whatever that might have been. And so we know, we know that kind of stuff has happened before. We, we've seen that kind of stuff. So Paul is basically, he's addressing the church... Mainly because the pastor said, "Would you write a letter to the church, just encourage them?" And I mentioned to you before, sometimes it's a good idea, just for all, any of us to sit down and write a short letter. I know we do email, so we don't consider email a letter, uh, but it is in a way a letter. Write a missionary. Uh, we've got plenty of missionaries. Write a write a write a church pastor. You know, um, maybe it's not in maybe maybe not just this church, but maybe there's a pastor someplace that has inf- had influence in your life in the past. Just write that pa- that pastor and say, hey, you know what? Thank you for what you gave me. I, I think that would be good encouragement to him uh, to do that. But anyway, that's where Paul is at. So, so last week, um, you know, we talked about the fact that this, these false teachers were teaching nonsensical and false doctrine, which Paul begins to address starting in the second half of the first chapter. And uh, we're, early on in, we're barely into the second chapter now. So Paul wrote in, wrote about, in, in the first chapter, he talked about the deity of Christ in verses 15 to 19. talked about Christ and the word preeminent. We looked at that word. We, we expressed what that represents. We talked about those kind of things. And then we got into chapter 2, and Paul speaks of his great concern. The whole chapter is about <coughs> Paul's concern for the church. And uh, we looked at last week in verses 1 and 2, his great conflict. And in chapters, uh, through chapter through verse 4, we talked about this great precaution. And so we had to pause there because we were kind of running a little long and I didn't have time to get into everything at the end of chapter 6, or verse 6. But that's kind of where we're at, so we paused without discussing the details of his warning. And so we'll start there in verse 6, and we're going to go down through verse 15 today. So let me just read the first few verses, uh, 6 to 10 probably. And Paul says in verse six of chapter two, um, "As as ye have therefore re- received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, in Him rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have taught, been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving." And then he said in verse eight, which is really where we're going to we're going to start off in. He says, "Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, and the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom you are also circumcised. And he goes on down through all the way to verse six. I won't we'll take time to read that right now. But in verse in this chapter, verse six, Paul tells us to beware. He's warning us. He said, "Hey, you got to beware of what's happening." You ever think about the word "beware"? Be aware is really what he's saying. That's what. Be aware. Be be conscious of what's happening and the things that are going on. You know, sometimes we walk around, and I don't mean this in a derogatory term, but sometimes we walk around clueless. We we're not aware of what's going on. We're not. We're, we missed something uh, because we were not aware. And then in verse sixteen, Paul also warns us to walk, or he encourages us to walk in Christ. And then he establishes our faith in verse 7. And then we get to verse 8. In verse 8, Paul details the mechanisms of, of the spoiling that he's warning you about. And we, we talked about the word for spoil here uh, in this verse. is more than just decay. We talked about it last week. It's not just a decaying. It's not like, okay, your bananas, you know how you buy them, they're bright yellow when you get them at the store. And you come home 10 minutes after you put them on the shelf, they're black. You know, I mean, it seems like bananas do that, right? And it's not, well, they're spoiled already. Well, maybe they are, maybe they're not, I don't know. But it just seems like they go fast. Julie buys avocados all the time, and they're nice and firm when she buys them. She says, a little bit too hard, we'll wait a little bit, soften them up, and then they're spoiled. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about that kind of spoilage here. What we're talking about means, that, in fact, this word, very, I think you have a couple of blanks here it means to plunder and to rob to plunder so uh-huh. you know so you know when an army entered into a a uh, an enemy's camp a lot of times in the old testament you see this they would overthrow the, the, the those in the camp destroy them and then they would take their spoils but they would they would plunder they'd go through all their personal belongings they go through their tents they go through their uh, their supply uh, stock, whatever they had, and they would take everything they could, everything they could carry, that's, that's spoil, it's the spoils of war, and and the devil wants to spoil you, and we talked about last week the fact that we're in a spiritual war, and that spiritual war, the result of that spiritual war is the souls of men, that's, that's the spoilage that, that the devil is looking at, and for you and for me, if we're doing the things right, if we're in this battle correctly, we get the spoils also. What is that? That's also the souls of men and women. Yes. Now, we don't get to claim them for ourselves. We get to give them to God. We get, we get to, we, we we wrestle with um, uh, this, this in this battle. And so that's where Paul is at. Paul's identified in this verse, so uh, he has identified two threats. And when I first read it last week, and I'm glad I paused on this verse, because when I first read it, I was thinking there were four threats but there's actually two threats that lead to two results in this just in this verse right here so uh, so Paul identified two threats that will spoil any church or any Christian two threats that that will that's basically your enemy and so through these threats the enemy intends to spoil you uh, quite quite readily quite rapidly you know, 10 minutes on the shelf and you're spoiled already and so you may be familiar with the expression to the victor goes the spoils that's what we're talking about. Paul warns the church to not neglect the battle for truth and the doctrine, which be, and truth in doctrine, because as you lose that battle, the enemy will take your possession for gain. So, if we step away from doctrine, if we if we neglect doctrine, if we ignore doctrine, and we don't defend doctrine, uh, then that doctrine will ultimately be taken from us. And that's also a part of the, you know, what part of the spoils is in that situation, would be your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, because when you lose your doctrine, you lose your connection in the Word of God, to the Word of God. Doctrine helps you make that, keep that connection, constantly, always going on. You know, how, okay. For example, you're all saved. How do you know? Because the doctrine of salvation and eternal security tells you that you are. And that you, and, but you know, some people they forget that, and next thing you know, well, I think I can lose my salvation, and well, I'm just not going to church anymore, and you know, next thing you know, they're a victim; they've been spoiled. So anyway, uh, the first thing he says, <coughs> verse eight: Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy. So that's the first one we're going to talk about: philosophy. The Greek word for, for, for philosophy means a love of wisdom. It's interesting that the part that we read in. Ecclesiastes this morning was about wisdom, and here we are, the the word philosophy means a love of wisdom. Now, I will tell you right now, we have to be careful with the word philosophy and what we mean by philosophy, because it's not always bad. Okay, but anyway, the word philosophy refers to man's most basic beliefs, most basic concepts, and his basic attitudes towards things without even consideration of God. So before we get to God, every every person, every person walking the streets today, everybody in Walmart, everybody at Ivy, whatever, they they all have a philosophy of their life. Disregarding God, they have a philosophy, all right. And it, and it is the most basic beliefs, concepts, and attitudes towards things, towards anything, whatever that might be. That's that would be philosophy. I'm not talking about, you know the. Like you go you study a philosophy class and you gotta go back and read all the guys back from you know, the Greek scholars from you know ten thousand years ago. And we're not talking about that kind of stuff. And we all have a philosophy of how life should be or is or how we have an outlook about things. Um I know, as you say, there are both Gentile and Christian philosophies. They're both. Gentile philosophy avoids talk avoids taking for truth the wisdom of God. So Gentile philosophy. Avoids taking for for the taking for truth, God's wisdom. We've read about God's wisdom already. We've talked about wisdom before. Gentile philosophy ultimately eliminates the connection to God. They say, "Okay, here's truth." In fact, you come to come next Wednesday night. We'll talk more about truth in the in the apologetic series that I'm doing, and we're going to direct to talk about truth and knowledge, and faith, and all of that. That's where we're going next, this coming Wednesday night. So anyway, um, so Gentile philosophy avoids truth, avoids taking for truth the wisdom of God, but man has for centuries pursued wisdom for the love of wisdom rather than the love of God. Philosophers chase down knowledge, or what they claim is knowledge, outside of God, because they're pursuing something because they love wisdom, Instead of loving God. Philosophy boils down to this. Philosophy boils down to the effort of man to determine the ultimate cause in the earth and the universe. The effort of man to determine ultimate causes for truth outside or without God. That's, that would be philosophy. Is They're looking for truth detached from God. So once they decide what truth is, and they say, see, God isn't true because this is what truth is. Oh, by the way, this is what I call truth. And God doesn't line up with my truth, so God doesn't exist. (laughs) You see how that kind of connects? But if you say, this is true because God says it's true, then God is real in your life. That's the problem that Paul is warning the church about because the philosophy uh, that he's warning them about is just trying to steal their connection To God, and so the failure with this determination is that man fails to seek wisdom from the source of wisdom. What is the source of wisdom? No matter what, uh, all of those guys we're going to mention tomorrow or Wednesday night. No matter what they say, we're going um, uh, to—they don't seek wisdom from from the source of wisdom. You know, Proverbs chapter one verse seven says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And In Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6 says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. And so where do we get God's wisdom and God's word? We get it out of the Bible. But well, see, what happens? So, we're, so we're, we're ultimately watching Gentile philosophy whittle away at God. Uh we're trying to find wisdom and truth without God, which rejects his word, which rejects his son, which rejects who he is actually. So Paul is warning the church about that. The basic description of philosophy cannot be reconciled with the doctrine, with doctrine, within with true true word or with faith. Uh basic philosophy can't can't line up with it. So Paul warns the church about such philosophy because the church cannot rely on the tenets of the world which are out of alignment with God's Word. The tenets of the world, what I mean the tenets, you know, what, this is what the world does, this is what the world thinks, this is what the world claims. Uh, whether whether it's now or back in the, in the first century when, when Paul was still uh, beating the path around around the Mediterranean, uh, that philosophy then and the philosophy of man today, Gentile philosophy today, is against God. It's, uh, it's out of alignment with God's Word. So, so that's what he's warning us. Be careful where you get your wisdom. I would be altered. I just let like say. Let's say that. That's the warning. Be careful where you get your wisdom. And then he says he warns us not only not only in verse eight. Uh, be beware of, of lest man spoil you through philosophy. But he also says and vain deceit. Now, vain deceit uh, is a faulty, wasteful, erroneous substance substitute for truth. Vain deceit is basically lies. You can just kind of call it lies. Vain—the word vain means hollow. Uh, the word deceit means disillusioned or delusioned. And, um, so, vain, hollow, delusion—that's how you could translate that. Hollow, delusional teaching is not supported by doctrine either. It's not fitted to the truth. Instead, it is fitted to diversion in the hope of leading you astray. vain. Okay, so just think about a lie. I mean, I could, that's probably the best way to think about vain deceit is a lie. So what does lying want to do? When somebody's lying to you, what are they trying to do? They're trying to divert you from what is real and what is really happening. Lying is not something that God likes. In fact, the Bible says, I, think, I don't remember, I think it's Proverbs 11, I believe, where that God considers lying uh, he word. Um, abomination. abomination. Thank you. God considers lying an abomination. So he considers vain deceit an abomination. I think I said Proverbs 11, somewhere here, But anyway, um, hollow delusional teaching is not supported by doctrine, is not fitted for the truth. Instead, it's fitted for diversion in the hope of leading you astray. Okay, so these two threats lead to two false positions of the church. And so, like I said, at first I thought there were four uh, but there's really just two leading to two two results. Philosophy leads to wrong doctrine. Philosophy leads to the to wrong doctrine, or what Paul calls the traditions of man. Notice in verse eight, lest any man spoil you through philosophy in vain, deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So the results of you being Uh, lied to the the results of you seeking wisdom in the wrong places is, is that, um, uh, you will be, you will fall under the rudiments of the world, the the traditions of men. So let's talk about the traditions of men for just a minute. Look over to Mark chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. Traditions of men are what, what Jesus refers to as as a departure from the commandment of God. Traditions of men would be, well, tradition. Tradition is in the full, anyway, Mark chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and may, may, many other such thing like things ye do. And he said unto them, full well ye reject the kingdom, the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. So basically, philosophy is going to lead you down a path of seeking wisdom outside of the Bible, and it's going to lead you in traditions of men. And so, uh, many churches today, their worship is based on tradition. Jewish tradition is one of the examples, in particular, that's what Paul was concerned about at the time, was going back into Jewish tradition. But there's other religions that are, that have to, uh, a tradition of what we'd call men. Hebrews, uh, not Hebrews, sorry, uh, Hindus, uh, Buddhists, uh, Catholics, um, they're all centered around tradition. And Jesus Christ is saying that you reject the commandment of God, the word you reject his word, for keeping your own tradition. So it's easy from the context of Mark chapter 7 that Jesus is pointing out the failure of the preference for Jewish opinion and traditions. And that's the problem. They were, they were They were trying to take people back to Jewish traditions and uh, opinions. And in the same way, Greek philosophy turned man's heart and mind from loving God. Vain deceit leads the church into improper actions. Vain deceit leads the church into improper actions. The rudiments of the world, he calls them. What are rudiments? That's basics. That's basics, you know, like... Uh, your uh, multiplication tables—I don't know if they still do multiplication tables in school. Not, I don't know, but uh, your ABCs—you know—all those kind of things. Mo- those are rudiments. In a literal sense, is the basic elements of learning. It's your ABCs of truth. At Colossia, the false teachers were trying to lead the church back to the Old Testament basics instead of moving on to mediator truth. Remember what Paul said in Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter five, verses twelve to fourteen. Paul talks about this very same type of thing. He said, for when it was time you ought to be teachers, so it's time, there's a, there comes a time in everybody's life when we ought to be teachers of the word. Every one of us should become teachers of the word, discipling, being able to have a conversation, teach. Uh, so anyway, for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. First principles would be like a rudiment, the basics. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belonging to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So, The vain deceits that Paul is warning us about will take us back to such a thing that Paul is describing in Hebrews as a warning. Paul is not interested in keeping this young church young. He doesn't want the church to stay young. He doesn't want HBF to stay young. And I mean, I'm not talking about chronological age of any member. That's not what I'm talking about. He's talking about, I'm talking about, I'm referring to, Paul wants to keep, the keep, wants, he does not want the church to stay young in maturity. This is not the desire of those false teachers that Paul was warning them about because they want to take us back to the reason false teachers... They want to, they want to take us back, which takes us back to the, to the reason false teachers are champions of vain deceits. Again, back in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, it says, making the word of God of none effect. This is what traditions do. They make the word of God of none effect through your tradition, which ye have delivered, and many such like things do ye. Jesus Christ is—he's—he's he's slamming the Jews because they—they want to keep all everybody in tradition, you know. What and well, there's a lot of different passages I won't go into all. Of them. Okay, so so he warns us about that, and then what Paul does over the next from verse nine down to verse fifteen, he gives us some great truths because he wants the church to realize here's some truths that you need to know about. And there, I think I think these are all pretty much covered in Discipleship One, definitely in Discipleship Two. And I know for sure in HBI, these, these truths that Paul lays out in these next few verses, uh, we cover that here very well. But let's just read them. Starting in verse nine. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of the prince, of all principality and power, in whom also ye were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. "...buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out all the handwritings of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, as you read through that, you, you say, okay, ding, 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 ding. You're like, okay, check that off, check that off, check that We all should understand what Paul is talking about here because we've all been taught the Bible. And many of us teach the Bible because we discipled others and and uh, and you know we work in teaching the kingdom ministry. All of this stuff is basically discipleship doctrine. But anyway, we're going to kind of go through them. So Paul moves from warning of the false teachers to to warning warning us of their desire to spoil us. Uh, And he moves on to how to be protected. In order to be protected from this, you must know truth, which will free you from the bondage of lies. And Jesus Christ, remember when he spoke about truth, truth setting you free, right? He said in John chapter 8, verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Okay, but what's really interesting is um, uh, let me go back to John 8 because I didn't put this in my notes. If you back up in John chapter, chapter 8 from 32, go back... Um, Verse to verse 30, we'll start there and get the whole context. And as he spake, or as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye know, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Then answered him, we, uh, we'll pause right there. Okay, so the point that I want to make here is in verse 31, if you continue in his word, you will always be connected to the truth. You will always be able to know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? Free from the bondage of philosophy and vain deceit. Okay, so Paul now begins a rapid list of true doctrines that every believer needs to have a solid handle on. And so we're just going to talk briefly about them, just for the sake of time. Verse 9, the fullness of the Godhead. Now, we briefly looked at the fullness back in chapter 1, verse 19. If you look at verse one, nineteen, he says, But it pleased the Father that in him all fullness dwell. So, anyway, uh, in the fullness of the Godhead, we see the very nature of God in his exactness. That's a blank for you, is in his exactness, including his divine attributes as an exact mirror of his attributes. That was talking about Christ there. And so, the meaning of the term Godhead is an interesting word. He refers, Paul refers to the Godhead only two other times in the Bible. The whole concept about Godhead is a huge doctrine in the Bible, but it's only mentioned three times, the, the phrase Godhead. is mentioned uh, in Acts chapter 17, verse 29, where it's used to describe the divine nature or the essence of God. For Acts 17, 29 says, For as much as you are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device." So here in in Acts seventeen, the term Godhead describes what is uniquely God's and what proceeds out from Him, such as His power. So we're basically talking what comes from God in that Godhead. And in Romans chapter one verse twenty is the second place where it's mentioned. In Romans chapter one verse twenty, and everybody should be familiar with this verse: the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And then, of course, here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it's used to denote the, the divine nature and the perfections of God, His personality, but different than His nature and essence. So, it's kind of all... you had to take them all three to get, to get a collective concept of what Godhead is. So, let me just give you this. Godhead is the essence of the divine being. The Godhead is the one and only deity. So, when we're talking about Godhead, we're talking about uh, His... Uh, what emanates from Him, what comes from Him, what proceeds out of Him—we're talking about His status uh, as being God, and then also His personality. You take all of that, and you ultimately end up with the essence of the divine being. So, in God, in Christ, see verse nineteen, verse nine again: For in Him, Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So that's basically Paul confirming and making a very specific and strong statement. That Jesus Christ is God, mm-hmm. and He is God in all its fullness, whatever that means. His power, what comes from Him, His knowledge, His wisdom, His His uh, essence, everything is in is in Christ. It's a very powerful statement that that uh, Paul is making, and he, and he starts there because he wants he wants he wants the church to know that philosophy and vain deceits are not anywhere near as adequate as God's as the Godhead in your life okay so uh, Jesus came to earth as the incarnate Godhead encapsulating all of the Trinity which includes the father the Son and the Spirit and it shows us exactly who God is that's what he's referring to so Jesus manifests all the traits of the Trinity within himself which is said in John chapter 14 verse 9. Have I been so long with you, and yet ye has not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou, show us the Father? Just look at me. I am the Godhead. I represent all of everything about God. You can't talk about God and not talk about me at the same time Is what Jesus is saying to Philip. You can't separate Jesus from God. The Trinity separates them in description, but they're, they're still the Godhead, the essence of God, the completeness and the fullness of God, and the, everything that comes from him. Okay, so that's verse 9. And in verse 10, he says in an important statement, you are in complete, in, okay, so God, he, the Godhead fully, and then now you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Christ is the fullness, which means complete in God, and we are now, we are complete in Christ. So God is Christ is complete in God and we are complete in Christ. The word complete here means to be made, made, to be made full. Can't put any more of God in you. Can't put more of the Spirit of God in you. You get it all. You're complete in Him. You have all of that. Did Jesus take up? Is Jesus in you? Yes. Is the Spirit of God in you? Yes. The Godhead is in you. Yes. All there. So he is the fullness of the body, and he is the fullness of the church. John one sixteen, for his and of his fullness have we received, have all have and of his fullness have all we received in grace for grace. So we are complete or filled up with his wisdom. Our sin is completely forgiven. We are fully justified, and we have fully received all of God's grace. All of that means in verse ten. Let me read that again. Verse 10 is basically saying that we are complete. We are filled up with His wisdom. We are fully forgiven. We are fully justified. We have received all of His grace. 1 Corinthians one thirty. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. We have all of that because we are filled up in Him. And then in verse 11, it says, In whom also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of sins in the flesh... Of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay, so putting off the body of sins. So you're free from sin. You should be free from sin. We can still sin, but we're free. we should be free. The body of sins was not just put off; it was cut away in circumcision. This is how you are detached from sin. Uh, you yourself, as a, as a spiritual being, now. So it seems this may have may have been one act. That the false teachers may have wanted to reinstitute, not Christ, but circumcision. They wanted to reinstitute circumcision. Remember when Paul went on, came on, came back from his first missionary journey, he went to Antioch and he reported to the church and he gave him a, a report of all what he had done on his first missionary journey. And then he was called to Jerusalem. Hey, we hear you're letting Gentiles get saved. Come back here and talk to us. And so he went, him and Barnabas, they went. And, uh, and he said in Acts chapter 15, verse 24, For as much as we, as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your soul, thus is Paul writing to the Gentiles now, ye must be circumcised and keep the law. We gave no such commandment. So basically, we don't have to go back to the traditions of men. We don't have to go back to being circumcised physically. Uh, we just need... We, but the circumcision is, a, is connected to... Cutting away of your flesh from your spiritual body. So you never need to to submit to a physical circumcision, which was just a sign of the covenant promise God made to Israel anyway. It represents God's answer to the flesh emphasizing our ruin in Adam. That's why he circumcised men, because it was takes it all the way back to the failure of Adam and the sin that Adam was in. Now our circumcision is one made not with hands, But when you were saved, you were cut away from the body of sin. Your spiritual circumcision represents God's answer to the Spirit emphasizing our reconciliation with God through Christ. So that's a powerful statement. There's a lot more we don't have time to get into. Let me go ahead to verse 12 and 13, kind of together here. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him. That operation is back in verse 11, the circumcision made without hands. Verse 13, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So we do not need to be baptized to be saved. Baptism is not a salvation action. Baptism doesn't save. But our salvation reflects the death and the burial of Christ. But if you look at a comparison, Romans chapter 6, if you recall, Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul said, "Know ye not. That so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And so there's the spiritual baptism. I'm going to go ahead and jump over to verses 15, 14 and 15 to kind of wrap up. His spiritual triumph. Blotting out the handwritings of the ordinance that was contrary to us, which was contrary to us, and, they, and took it out of the way, and nailed it to his cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So his sacrifice is your triumph. Your, his sacrifice is your triumph. The handwriting of ordinances is God's... No... I'm just going to make a, a, an allusion in here. The handwriting of ordinances God documented case against us for, for our sin. Now, I don't, I mean, the, the, the Bible speaks of books that are books are opened at the Great White Throne Judgment. There's a lot of books over the Book of Life and different books that are open. And some people would would allude to this, um, this handwriting of ordinances as one of those books. And maybe it is. But I do know this, God doesn't forget anything, he knows everything. And so in his mind, this is kind of how I see it happening, in his mind, God has documented all of my sin. Yes, He's documented it all. But when I got saved, he just wiped his memory clean. Put it off over here someplace, and never going to open it up again, it's gone. Never. Um, there used to be a preacher that described it as a big bucket of ping pong balls that were all white. And then your sin is a red ping pong ball. And when God, God it used to sit on top, you could find a red ping pong ball very easily. But then God took that ping pong ball and shoved it all the way to the bottom of the bucket. Well, you can't see it anymore. It's because it's all white. You've been forgiven. You've been cleansed. Now, I don't know. That's a good illustration that it works for right now. <laughs> uh, but anyway, your sacrifice, his sacrifice is your triumph. We could say that the Old Testament law is that ordinance that she's referring to, which identifies our sin. I don't know. We know that we sin because we violate the Ten Commandments and so on and so forth. That may be part of it, but in First John chapter three, verse four, we don't take the time to turn there. First John three four declares sin is the transgression of the law. We know that. Romans five thirteen declares sin is imputed when there is a law. So all our sin is noted, and I think in his mind, as God never forgets anything. But at the moment of the death of Christ. On the cross. That record was nailed to the cross with him. And we triumphed over sin and death. Because he took that sin on him. That red ping pong ball. He put it on himself. So that we don't have to have it anymore. And, he's, and, and he, t- he nailed it to the cross. The triumph extending extended to spoiling principalities and powers. Who was identified in Ephesians 1. 12, 21 and Ephesians 6.12. The Principality is uh, the devil. Uh, we wrestle against not flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we know spoiling is the victor. Spoiling is the victor taking prizes, and when you receive Christ, you are no longer bound by sin and under the control of Satan. There's nothing, there's nothing that Satan can take because he's no longer a champion of your life. And then I'll just wrap up with this. God triumphed also. He triumphed over, over Satan. You know, think about that. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, and our sins our, our sins were forgiven, and we triumphed over those sins, and we have, we have righteousness, and we are, God sees us as righteous now. But he also triumphed over Satan. Satan doesn't have access to us. God has victory there. And that triumph is seen in four things, and we'll be done with this. We have eternal life, we've we've had all our sins abolished um, or wiped out, we have been forgiven of all our trespasses, and we no longer have to fear the enemy. And so that's where Paul's going with this. That's why he laid out these doctrines, and there, there's so many other doctrines, of course, he could have picked on uh, or presented, but he, these are very important ones for us, all of us, you know. Um, that, uh, that we need to keep these in mind if we start to, to waver in our faith, we start to you know somebody's starting to trick us or trying to trick us, use these doctrines and go right back in their face and say, you don't, ha- you don't own me. Look at what the Bible says. this is true. You're lying, this is true. And so that's kind of how that all works out. So uh, let's go ahead and pray, we'll be done. Thank you for being here today. Um, looking forward to seeing what the high school class has got going on. We just praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, Father, we ask your blessing on on the rest of the day. We ask, Father, that you would um, just continue to encourage us, strengthen us in your word, teach us, Lord, the truth. Help us to be able to have truth ready at our fingertips and the tip of our tongue at any moment, uh, Lord, and help us to to free others who are spoiled by philosophies and vain deceits and other things like that, Lord. Help us to recover them. Back to, back to the spiritual health. We just thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hello, everybody that's online. Good to see you here. Judy. I hope you're starting to feel better at all. How's she doing? Well, they put her on another inhaler, which is called semicore. And what it does is... Rails your blood pressure. Sure and, Doesn't sound good. No. But they say all these, all these symptoms will go away. Well, Judy, we'll keep praying for you. we we'll hope everything works out for you soon. God bless you all of you. Love you all.